Well, tomorrow we celebrate 246 years of this nation's independence. 246 years ago, this nation won its independence. But folks, I got to tell you, the struggle to maintain our liberty, to maintain our constitutional republic, continues to rage on. I don't think since that first shot was fired in Lexington has our republic been more at risk than it is today. What we need to realize is that we are at war. Maybe not with bullets flying, but with ideas and philosophical arguments. And that war is just as serious. That war is just, provides us with just as much to lose as any other type of war. We need to be praying, right? We need to be praying for our nation. And I understand I've been criticized because I pray God's blessings on this nation. Uh, we shouldn't be praying for God's blessings on a nation that does all that our nation does. Uh, I also pray for revival. I pray for an awakening. Uh, but I believe in thanking God when the nation does something right like it did a couple of weeks ago with Roe v. Wade. I praise God when it, when it makes the right decisions. Uh, I know this. When Faye and I pray together every morning, I praise God for a good night's sleep of safety, of rest. I praise God that I live in a nation where I, when I place my head on my pillow at night, I am not worried about people barging in to arrest me. I praise God and I think it's worth praising Him when I come together with you all to worship and to read from God's Word and tell you just how concerned I am with the conditions of this nation and there's no one yet to tell me I can't do that. That's worth praising God for and asking God to continue blessing this great nation. We need to continue to pray. And I can tell you this, with our study of Christ of the book, it could not be any more appropriate than for us to be moving into Habakkuk today. Because the things that were going on at the time of Habakkuk are very much like what's going on today. The attitudes, the condition, the sin was absolutely much the same. And as we go through this book of Habakkuk, you're going to think, wow, wow. Habakkuk recognizes the sin. He recognizes the injustice. He recognizes the deceit. He recognizes all that's going on. 
And Habakkuk does what many of us have actually discussed. I've talked about this with many of you. Actually, I've even said it in a sermon. Habakkuk questions God and says, God, why do you allow all this to continue to happen? Paraphrase would be, Lord, why don't you put the brakes on and not allow this nation to go down the tubes the way that it's going? Lord, how can you see so much sin, so much evil, so much wickedness, and not put a stop to it? Basically, Habakkuk was praying, God, sick them. Don't let them get away with this. Until God tells Habakkuk exactly what he's going to do. And then it's like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's, that's not, I, no, please, not that. God says the Chaldeans, Babylon, it's coming. My judgment is about to fall. And Habakkuk's point that I think permeates throughout from, from Habakkuk 1 all the way to Habakkuk 3, the third chapter. The whole point of it is, as Habakkuk prays, and he prays, God, don't let them get away with their wickedness. Punish them. Father, they, they are breaking your commandments. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk's point is, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So no matter what's happening, no matter how many crazy things, no matter how many difficult things, no matter how frightening things are, scary things are, the bottom line is, the just shall live by faith. We trust God throughout the entire thing. Whether it was in Judah's day when Habakkuk was prophesying, or today when we go home and we turn the news on, we live by faith. We trust God. And you know what Habakkuk's, part of his final prayer is? We're going to go into this in a second. But it's, Lord, in your wrath, in your wrath, remember mercy. Remember mercy. In the book of Habakkuk, as we've gone through Christ of the book, in Habakkuk we find the Lord Jesus being the everlasting one. He is the eternal one. He is the one who is in control. He is in charge. He is the one that is going to have his way. And folks, i got to tell you, regardless of which dispensation we're talking about, the Scripture makes it clear that every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess to the glory of the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when you hear and you see things that just almost make you want to pull your hair out, and some of us have none to lose, but you still want to do it,
they're going to answer for that one day. There is a payday someday. There is a judgment day coming. And as we mentioned last week, and rather than getting all upset and mad and distressed and angry, that they're getting away with some of this garbage that we are so in opposition of and saying things that are just so stupid and ungodly. That's really, I mean, the world's been saying stupid stuff for a long time, but it's the ungodly, it's the denial that really grieved me. There's a payday. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue. You know what the word every means in Greek? Every. Without exception. Without exception. So may it grieve us, not anger us. You may feel like slapping somebody. But I recommend that you just don't do that. And you pray. You pray for them. The name Habakkuk means embracer. The one who embraces. It has the idea of clinging. Of clinging. I know at one time we even had Christ of the book. He was the embracer. So if you want to either go embracer or the everlasting one, both of them are beautiful pictures of what Christ Jesus does in the book of Habakkuk. But that is exactly what Habakkuk, this prophet, does in this book. He only prophesies a year. And this is not many years before Judah goes into captivity. Israel's already in the Syrian captivity. Babylon has already destroyed Assyria and taken over. And Judah, they are in their death throes. Judah is about to go into captivity as, as well. And it's Habakkuk who comes, whose name means to embrace, to cling to, that Habakkuk realizes that that is Judah's only hope, that God's punishment, God's judgment is forthcoming. And so what Habakkuk's name implies is you cling to the promises of God. He is the answer. He is the one that you hold on to. And his ending prayer just brings that out to such a glorious degree that we trust God. When all else fails, we trust God. Whether it be all of those years ago are today. Because see, there's nothing new under the sun. That's what we need to understand. Two things you need to understand. There's nothing new under the sun, and our enemy, Satan, the devil, his tactics do not change. change. What, you, what worked for him way back when still works today. I mean, if your tactics work, why change them? And that's exactly what's going on today. I, I want us to um, want us to kind of give a brief rundown of what was going on during Habakkuk's time. Now, most of the time that Habakkuk was prophesying is around Second Kings twenty three, twenty four, 
that period of time. Uh, our second Chronicles 34, it's the same, same story, same period of time. So sometime during the week, go and read 2 Kings. But I, I want to kind of give you a little bit of background, go back just a little bit further, and Habakkuk may still be, he might be alive at this time. He might be prophesying at this time. I know Isaiah was. Isaiah was giving Judah what for during this time. But look at 2 Kings chapter 21. Well, in, in 2 Kings 20, the Babylonian captivity is prophesied. Isaiah is the one. You can read 14 through 21 uh, where Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, here's what's coming, Hezekiah. Remember we told you what Hezekiah did? That the king of Babylon came and, and uh, or the dignitaries came and uh, Hezekiah opened up the temple and he showed them all the riches and all the wealth and, and all that they had. And Isaiah basically said, why did you do that? Didn't call him a dummy, not in scripture. But it was, God says, that was a mistake. And Babylon is going to take you over. You open the door to these people. And it's because of their sin. But let's look at verse 21. Hezekiah was the king. Hezekiah dies. And his son, Manasseh, becomes the king. He was a bad king of Judah. Hezekiah, good king. Manasseh, his son, really bad king. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hezebah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the things that Hezekiah had torn down. He built up again the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed. He reared up altars for Baal. Wait, Judah? What are you doing worshiping Baal? And he made a grove. What? What? We're not even going to get into the, the perversion and the ugliness of what all was carried on with Baal worship in the groves. As did Ahab king of Israel and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them, where Deuteronomy is so explicit to the nation of Israel, don't worship the zodiac. Don't worship the host of heaven. And I think it actually goes a little further than just the host of heaven. Linda, this is a good research project for you. And she, she does a lot of research, let me tell you. Uh, I think the host of heaven ha even has more to do with the demonic sphere and the demonic beings that, that were going on, that they, they realized and they recognized and they worshiped. So not only was it the stars of heaven, the host of heaven, I, I think it's some of those powers. They worshiped those things. They worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. Who are them? I, that's why I think it's demonic. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, Well, I put my name. He, he built their altars in the temple of God. That's how bad Manasseh was. 
Verse 6. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his son pass through the fire. He observed times. He used enchantments. And he dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. This is Manasseh. This is Judah. This is God's chosen people that have fallen so far off the, off the mark. Verse 9. But they hearkened not, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations which the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. Folks, that's a lot of evil. And Manasseh was doing that. Verse 14, the Lord says, I'm going to forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. That's, God says, that's enough. That's enough. Manasseh dies and his son, Ammon, comes on the scene, but he doesn't rule very long at all. Uh, uh, two years two years, and he's assassinated, and he's just like his dad, just like his dad. But I'm going to show you the effect of his father, because Ammon's son, Josiah, begins to rule as king. He has a mentor. The mentor's name is Jeremiah. And Jeremiah teaches Josiah certain things, and Josiah, his evaluation, look at verse 2 of chapter 22. Josiah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And then something's going to happen. He's going to say, let's rebuild the temple. Let's build it back up. Let's renovate it. Let's save it. Let's do something with it. So they start doing that. Josiah as king says, we, we've, we've stripped God's temple. We've done things that's not right. And so they started working on the temple. And you know what they find? They find the book of Moses. They find the law. Wait a minute, you're Judah, it's been 57, 55, how many years has it been? You didn't have the law of God? You weren't practicing the law? Evidently not, because look what they were into. It's in the, it's in the book of Moses, it's in the law that they understood. You don't worship these things that they were worshiping. You don't do that. But they find the book of Moses, and they bring it to Josiah. Look at verse 11 of chapter 22. All this has a bearing on, on uh, Habakkuk. We're going to get back to Habakkuk, but I want to give you this. You understand. Look at verse 11. They give the book to Josiah. Josiah reads it. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. Conviction. Conviction. Oh, Lord, what have we done? 
What type of people are we that we would forsake your law, that we would forsake your will, that we would live like this? Verse 13, Go ye and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. And so they go to find out uh, what does the Lord say about our condition. So they go to a prophetess. A prophetess of the Lord. Somebody who speaks for the Lord. In verse 15 of chapter 22, And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that hath sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of this book which the king of Judah hath read, because they've forsaken me, and they have burned incense unto other gods. They have provoked me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. Those are pretty terrible, frightening words. But look at verse 19. Well, look at verse 18. But to the king of Judah, oh, that's another one of those really, but God. But to the king of Judah was sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you have humbled yourself before the Lord, when thou heardst what I spoke against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have rent your clothes, you have wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee into thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thy eyes shall not see all the evil which I shall bring upon the place which they, and, and they brought the king word again. And I'm sure Josiah went. Whew. Jump over to 2 Kings 23. Now, know this. Chapter 23 really talks about the things that Josiah does as king and the things he dismantles, the things he tears down, the things that he stops. Uh, 23.7, I think, is important. 23.7, he broke down the houses of the Sodomites hmm. that were by the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the grove. Wickedness. Such wickedness. Verse 5 talks about the idolatrous priests. The, the, they burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the planets and all the hosts of heaven. They, they, they did all of that. All those things, those changes Josiah the king brought about. He stopped them. 
the house of the sodomites where the women would come and, and hang perverse hangings in the temple of God. He stopped all that. The worshiping of Baal, he stopped all that. All the stuff that was going on, he stopped it. Verse 24 of chapter 23. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the Lord which were written in the book of Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose any like him. Notwithstanding, verse 26, notwithstanding the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. That's the environment that Habakkuk stands and prophesies, knowing that there is no remedy, as we've talked about. Second Chronicles 36.6 talks about there's no remedy. There's no forgiveness. There's no change. They're going into captivity. There is judgment coming, and that judgment's going to be harsh. Habakkuk comes in. With all of that going on. And he tells the people, the just shall live by faith. God's wrath is about to come down. Well, chapter 25 of 2 Kings, chapter 25 is all about Nebuchadnezzar coming. The first time, second time, third time is total destruction, and he hauls them all in captivity. First time is when Daniel and Ezekiel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of, they, all of them are taken into Babylonian captivity. So it, it, by the time we get to 2 Kings chapter 25, they're going into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar's coming and going, hmm, I'm going to take them cap captive. And it's Habakkuk that explains what God says, I'm going to use the Chaldeans. I'm going to use Babylon. They are going to be my sword. I'm going to take them. And what's interesting is from A to Z, from A to Z, from Amos to Zephaniah, A to Z, God's message to Israel is to repent, is to repent. Seek the Lord, seek the Lord. Look at, look at Amos 5.4, Amos 5.4. And then, Tim, we're going to look at Zephaniah 2, 3 after that. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and you shall live. From Amos, and Amos was one of the first prophets to Israel. The only one that was before him was Jonah, and he went to Nineveh. In Zephaniah, chapter 2, verse 3, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, 
which have wrought his judgment, seek righteousness, seek meekness, that it may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. This is after the captivity. They are coming back to the land at this time. So from the beginning to captivity to the end, God's message is still, repent, seek me, seek me. And, and here's what is so interesting. They had the words of God. David had, the Psalms had already been written. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. It was Israel and Judah that could have jumped up and down and said, that's us, that's us. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Oh, not Baal, not all the other pieces of wood and stone that couldn't see, that couldn't hear, that couldn't act upon their need. Proverbs 14, 34. David, this, this was almost a thousand years before the time we're living or, or seeing now. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Do you hear that, Judah? Do you hear that, America? You hear that, America? It fell on deaf ears then. Is it falling on deaf ears today? And as we said, no remedy, no healing. Heading into captivity, they were going to be crushed, crushed by Nebuchadnezzar. And you know what Habakkuk tells them? The just shall live by faith. That was the answer then. I got news for you in 2022. That's the answer today. The just shall live by faith. Regardless of what the circumstances are that are surrounding us, how frightening, how out of control, we still do what? We still live by faith. We still trust God. We still trust the promises of God. Seemingly there's no hope. We live by faith. We trust His sovereignty, His might, His power. We trust His purpose. See, that's what Habakkuk clinged to. He, claim, he claimed, he clung to the fact that, God, your promises are to this nation, and I'm going to hold to those. I'm going to trust you. No matter what, ha what happens, you've said these things were going to happen, and I'm going to trust you throughout all of them. It might be years and years later, or it's going to be 70 years because they're going into captivity. But the just shall live by faith. Two things I know for sure. I mean, hopefully I know more things. I mean, I know God loves me. I know Christ died for me. I know that those things are true. Those things are sure. I know those things too. Uh, but I know that heaven is my home. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Have I been there and God whispered and said, hey, this is yours here. I mean, I'll, I'll. no. But by faith, I believe 
what God's Word says. There's no doubt in my mind, and more importantly, in my heart, that when I die or when the rapture happens, I'm heading upward. Something else I know, according to God's Word, that between now and when I get there, perilous times shall come. Between now and when I get to heaven, perilous times shall come. And it lists all the things, for men shall be lovers of themselves, proud, boasters, blasphemers, on and on. In the last days, what God's Word tells me before I get to heaven, that there's going to be times when there's going to be a falling away, and people are going to be giving into seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I really believe that's all in between me and getting to heaven. But do you know what? I'm still going to live by faith. I'm still going to trust God. That's still not going to change the stand that I take for the Lord Jesus Christ. And believing those promises. You know, and as, as we were studying all of this, the thought came to me. And not just for this one prophet, but all the prophets. And like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I know it sounds like a broken record. If it sounds like that to us, you can imagine what it was like to God. Time after time after time. Forgiving. Sending prophet after prophet to speak his word. But it's easy for us to focus on their iniquity. Isn't it? It's easy for us to read that. I mean, I, I kind of read it a while ago. And you read that and you go, oh my, that's evil. That's, that's wicked. Look at rebellion. Rebellion after rebellion, disobedient, failure, abundant of them. And it was not that they weren't religious. Not that they weren't religious. They were religious. They were building temples to other gods. What we should be focusing on. I mean, yeah, we, we know what they, they were sinful. But what we need to be focusing on it's just how merciful God was. What an abundant grace. How long-suffering. How forgiving. How loving He was. He was toward His people. We looked at Isaiah and Christ of the book and Isaiah is salvation. We looked at the book of Hosea in Christ of the book, there is groom inviting Israel to enjoy that marital relationship with him. Amos, restorer, every one of Christ of the book. It's salvation, it's groom, it's restorer. Micah is gatherer. Nathan, Nahum is stronghold. Habakkuk is embracer. Eternal one. As we study all this, the one thing that jumps out at us is the sinfulness and the unfaithfulness of man, but also what jumps out to us 
is the righteousness and faithfulness of God. All the way up to the time, all the way up to the time that the promised one came. The one who was bruised for our iniquity, who was delivered as an offering for our sin. They still rejected him. Kind of tell you, Israel's, <laughs> they had issues. But it did not stop the promise of God from finding fulfillment. He would have been justified to have slammed the book and said, you know what? No more. No more. That's it. You've had every chance. No more. But in the fullness of time, you know what the fullness of time actually is describing? Israel's wickedness, blindness, hatefulness, hypocritical religious belief system, following the traditions of man in the fullness of time. When it was as bad as it could possibly get, Christ says, I'm going to send you a Savior. Boy, i got to tell you, if that doesn't demonstrate the love of God, I just don't know what does. His forgiveness... Have we even gotten to the book of Habakkuk yet? <laughs> Real quick to Habakkuk, and, and we've we got to come back to Habakkuk. We, well, maybe not. Real quick. Habakkuk says, Lord, how long? How long are you going to let this go on? Verse 5 of chapter 1, or, or uh, verse 2 of chapter 1. How long, O Lord, shall I cry and thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save? God says, Behold ye among the Gentiles, the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. And he goes on to describe what's coming. Verse 12 of chapter 1. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment and Almighty God, Thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil. You cannot look on iniquity. And that's what Babylon was. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that dwell treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? That's the question. Lord, how can you destroy those that aren't nearly as bad as the ones you're sending to destroy? You know what I think? I think that's a picture of Calvary. I think that's a picture of Calvary. I read that and go, yep, that's exactly what God did. Chapter 3. In chapter 2, it's all about the fact that God says, the knowledge of the Lord it's going to cover the earth. The knowledge of the Lord is going to be plain. 
The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Folks, is that going to happen? You betcha. You betcha. Oh, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Verse 20. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Chapter 3. O Lord, I have heard Thy speech, and I was afraid. O Lord, revive Thy work in the midst of the years, and in the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Verse 16 of chapter 3, and we'll be done after these three verses, four verses. Habakkuk says, when he heard what God's going to do, when I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. 17, 18, and 19 needs to be the attitude of God's people. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet, and He will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instrument. Here, play that. That's the message. If Habakkuk was writing that today, and if he changed it to modern day, even though gas may be $5 a gallon, even though there may not be jobs, even though the economy is crumbling, even though the stars might be, stores might be bare and it's hard to find toilet paper, you, you, could write, you could change those things, but the whole point is, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation, for the just shall live by faith. It has nothing to do with my 401k. It has nothing to do with my job security. It is secure though. No, it, it has nothing to do with my job security. It has to do with who reigns on high, who is in control, who's Lord of all, and I trust completely. And let me tell you this morning, if you don't know that God, you are missing out. If you don't know that God, you need to be afraid, be very afraid. He loves you. And He is offering salvation by grace through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. At least any man should boast. Bottom line is God loves you. Loves you so much that Christ died for you. He paid the debt you owed in order that you might be brought into the right relationship with God. Let me encourage you to do that if you've never by faith believed. Let me encourage you. Don't trust in your own goodness. Don't trust in your own works. Trust in His. That's the only one that saves. 
Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your amazing, marvelous grace. And Father, we just pray that you will move on the hearts and minds of everyone here. Father, on every believer, may you move on our hearts so that we know that it's you that we trust in. It's not government, not politicians. Father, the just shall live by faith, faith in you. May we demonstrate our faith by how we live, trusting in you. And Father, if there's anyone here that does not know you, may they not leave this building this morning without warning by faith to know you as Savior. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.